You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. All right, hey, what's going on? So this is the next installment of the... um, Sunday Sermon. Bum, bum, bum. And we continue in Ephesians chapter 3 and go through the first 13 verses. There's also some side notes in there and we go into Galatians some and then I make some references to Acts and a couple of other um, passages as well. So you'll be able to um, look those up if that's what you do, um, you know, afterwards. So <laughs> anyway, um, at the beginning of this, you'll hear me say we'll have a we have a question. And what's going on there is that um, when I took this position, I told um, told everybody if they had any question about a scripture or a biblical topic, anything pertaining to the Bible to write it down and turn it in um, and I would address it and if it was short answer I would address it before we go go into the sermon and if it's a a longer answer we'll take a a Sunday to address it Um, which I received one today which will take a break from Ephesians in a week or two and um, either address that or do something else whatever I feel <laughs> led to do anyway. You will hear that. So that is what is going on though there um, at the beginning. So you'll hear you'll hear the question and then I answer it. So um, that's cool to do, I think. So people can just ask and they write it in, t- write it down, turn it in, and I address it uh, before the sermon. I've not included that um, before yet on the recordings. Um, I thought I would this time. Um, so anyway, that's that. And the recording is pretty good. It's like on the same par as last week. However, I was going through it just a moment ago. And from time to time, there's a little like little sound like a thing. I don't know what in the world that is. I don't know if it's a microphone or my phone. So it only lasts for a couple seconds from here and there. So just deal with it, and you'll hear some children in the background too because uh, we had some little ones there today, which was um, always nice to have. And uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so here, without further ado, Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13. You guys can keep turning your questions in if you have any. I got another one this morning about the millennium, so... That's going to be a packed one uh, to do. We'll have to um, 
use a whole Sunday to answer that one probably. And we'll probably take a break at some point through Ephesians to uh, just throw in a, a, a random sermon, all right? So this question, um, and, and you guys, you don't, you know, please bring your questions. These are good. Uh, this one's a good one, actually. Um, just write them down. Give them to me. If you don't want to know me to know it's from you, put it in an offering plate. I'll receive it later. So this question is, uh, will we know our family and friends in heaven as to who they were to us? All right. So if you grew up in the church, like most of us did, we have all sorts of things that we have been told, like, you'll know who they are, but you kind of want, like, you know, you'll, you'll know who each other, but we're going to look different. Or we're going to be like this and that. Or there's not going to be friends and family and things like that because it's in heaven. And sometimes it, it sort of painted a bleak picture of heaven. When I was younger, not to sound odd or disrespectful, heaven sounded really boring to me when I was growing up. Um, because the, the picture painted was we'll just be on our knees singing holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. So... As a kid, you know, that's just like, ah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, but that's not the picture that is painted in the Bible, all right? So heaven, yes, is a place, but it's more of a presence. There's only four verses in the New Testament that says what happens to us when, right when we die. And that says we'll be in the presence of Jesus. Now... There's only three verses that will say what happens to you if you're an unbeliever, too. So, um, but being in the presence of Jesus will be awesome uh, to be face-to-face with our Savior and our brother um, who has given his life, as I said. So, uh, And we know that, and it'll be good. So I get goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> but... The overall picture of the landscape of heaven is an actual redeemed earth, a new earth. And the first humans that were created were placed in a garden called Eden, which is paradise. So heaven is going to be on earth and a new earth. And we're going to be gardeners, you know, like we're just going to be gardeners. Like there's no mansions and things like that. These are I'm going to end up preaching on this if I. <laughs> So, you know, I'm going to prepare a room. We've just speculated on all of these things, okay? But to answer this question, yes, we're going to know each other. First off, just think of already, like we taught last week, the one new man, right? Jesus is the one new man that literally composes of Jews and Gentiles. All humanity is invited in, right? So we are... In Christ's body, we're already placed in heavenly places, right? We're already like here physically on earth, spiritually we are in heaven. We're already start have started the eternal process and we know each other, right? So, but in the Old Testament, when a when a person died, the the biblical writer said he was gathered to his people, all right? Um in 2 Samuel, David lost his baby, and he said that, I shall go to, uh, to him. So David experienced, um, or expected, 
to see his child again. He knew he would, and he knew that he would know that was his baby, all right? All right, so the New Testament, though, the answers are more clear. Um, While sharing with the Passover meal, Jesus said, Take this cup, divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Christ was promising that he and his disciples would drink the fruit of the vine together again, and they would be reunited. Um, So you have to think about also the Mount of Transfiguration when that happened. Do you guys remember that scene? Jesus is there. He unveils his glory. Um, Moses and Elijah show up. And this is a picture of the law and the prophets, but you have disciples, Peter, James, and John. They didn't have pictures of Moses and Elijah. They didn't know what they look like, and they know who, it is, who they are. They know them. All right? Um, so that implies that we are going to recognize people even if we've never seen them before. We're going to know who they are. Jesus, when he resurrects, he, he's in a body. Um, they know him. This gives us a glimpse of what we, our glorified bodies are going to look like, too. That we're going to be able to walk through walls and appear and disappear. Uh, <laughs> we will be able to do those things in heaven, maybe. I, that's what I think. I just say, look at the qualities that he had then after he was resurrected as a picture of the glorified bodies that we will have. But people knew who he was. Uh, there were times they didn't recognize him, but they did. But they were on earth... All right, until their eyes were revealed to who he was. All right, but I believe that all redeemed will maintain our identity forever, and we'll we'll have fellowship with not just Jesus, but Moses and Elijah and all the people in the Bible that we know are of great faith, and their righteousness was counted towards them as faith. so, yes, we will know each other, and we'll know them, who we are. We'll, we're going to still, we'll, we still have our families. Um, I know Jesus makes a comment, there will be no marriage in heaven, but that doesn't mean that if you're married now, you won't be married in heaven. Uh, certainly, this is a union that God had formed for us to have, and that will still be... Um, honored in heaven as well. And so we're, we're all going to know each other. We're going to know our family. We'll know our friends. And we're going to know people that we've never even met before and we'll know who they are. And we'll be in the presence and the glory of Jesus. The, you know, the, the light's going to come from God because he is the light too. If you've noticed in the creation story, There was light. He said, let there be light. But he didn't create the sun and moon until later. So so, anyway, I'll ramble in there. So yes, (laughs) that's a long answer, but the short answer is yes. All right. Ephesians three. We've been going through Ephesians. We're in three now. This is fun. You won't be lost if you've not been here just because I'll explain a little bit. So. We know that within this context, we've been hearing about the Jews and Gentiles, the wall of hostility that was broken down. There's no longer that division. 
the gospels for all because of one new man, which is Jesus, and we individually are temples of God where his presence dwells, but corporately as the church, we are a temple that is growing. As that's how we ended last week. It's, it's a growing temple that um, a lot looks like the pictures of the mustard seed and the leaven, something that will grow. It's living stones, and as people come in and are added, the temple becomes bigger, and it grows. So the Jewish Christians, all right, the early church, they did not approve of the mission to the Gentiles, as we've, we should have gathered that by now. Um, and Paul says that Christ himself commissioned him to fulfill God's plan to bring Gentiles the message of salvation through faith apart from works, right? So grace alone, faith alone, this justification uh, that takes place. It's not on our works, um, it's just faith. It's faith and faith alone. So, for this reason, <clears throat> is how it starts. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, what reason? All right, and what he's, you have to remember, we, they did not, he did not write in chapters, right? It was one long letter. The reason is the reconciliation of the Jews and Gentiles to, um, to one another and to God, okay? And Paul is a prisoner when he's writing this. He's been in prison probably five years now at this point. But he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. The stop, even though it's the middle of a sentence. Well, we can end it, actually, as I have written briefly. Okay. So he's a prisoner, and his arrest is actually more for his protection than, um, than him just being this sort of a rebel outlaw. Now, the Roman Empire, they allowed these things going on. They allowed Christianity. They allowed Judaism. If you have read Acts, you can go back to Acts 21, all right, and this is... The Jews are trying to set him up. They're, he's, they're saying that he took the Gentile into the temple, and he didn't. A big mob breaks out of Jewish people here, and they want to attack him. The Romans take him in custody and arrest him. So it's more for protection, but when you're arrested, you become arrested, and you're, you're just not like getting thrown in the cell to... Um, to sober up and be let go the next morning, all right? So they, they were doing this somewhat for that against this Jewish mob. And that's in Acts 21, um, 27 through 36. Just pointing that out if you want to look at it later. But they accused him of speaking against them, all right? Um, like I said, um, and they also were accusing him of speaking against the Old Testament and against the temple, and they unjustly accuse him of defiling that temple, which would have been the most serious of accusations then. All right. So the Roman authorities intervene. Paul adds this, this phrase here, on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay? But he sees himself 
as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, all right? He doesn't see himself as a prisoner because of the Jews. He doesn't see himself as a prisoner because of the Roman government, because if so, he would have been... um, He would have said something rightly about that. There would have been some sense of bitterness or anger. But as a prisoner for Christ, as for Jesus, he could rejoice in him being in prison, in his sufferings, because the Lord only acted toward him with grace and kindness. All right. So that's the meaning of this phrase. And when he says this, okay, so. What's interesting is you have verse 1, and then it stops. And then he says, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God. Some Bibles, if you have it, they'll have like a a line there in between 1 and 2. All right, so he is stopping right here. He's He's like, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he interrupts himself, assuming that in like... It goes on, and he, he actually, uh, the whole interruption is until we won't even, yeah, it, we go to the end of it today, hopefully. But this is all an interruption, assuming he's actually interrupting himself to defend his calling, and he uses this statement, assuming you have heard this, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's a, a, a rhetorical technique here. Uh, to jog their memory, if you will. Of course, they had heard. He's writing to them. This is to the Ephesians. This is to the church in Ephesus. They have heard this. And so he's just like, remember, I was there. I established this. I preached this gospel to you. All these things I've taught you. All these things, you know, remember this. That God's grace in the gospel cannot be grasped by our reason, but by but by God, he must reveal it to us. And that's what he's saying when he says how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. OK, so this mystery is the gospel is for Gentiles, too. Now, by revelation, um, and another reference to Acts in chapter nine, fifty six, actually, that as Saul, he received the gospel from Christ himself, which included this commission to preach to the Gentiles. And that's a reference uh, also in um, Galatians 1. Uh, let's look at that one, actually. It's interesting. There's so many cross-references. And cross-references are good to know because it helps in interpreting and reading the Bible. The, the Bible interprets itself, actually. So if you can have a Bible with cross-references, it's a lot easier. <clears throat> so Galatians 1, 11 through 16, this is Paul called by God. It says, for, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. And I'll stop there. I know it's mid-sentence, but he was called. We know that story. He's knocked off the donkey. He's blinded. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? So the opposition, the hostility that the unbelievers of this world that have because of the truth has been suppressed by their sin, and that's in Romans 1, when that's expressed towards you, when it's expressed towards the Christian community, when it's expressed in a form of a bill like it's going on in California right now, that, says, that may say you can't sell a Bible anymore because it teaches against homosexuality, it's not just towards you. It's not just towards Christians. It's toward Jesus. That persecution, that hostility is towards the truth. And that hostility comes because of the suppression of the righteousness because God's law is now written on man's heart. And we have, all have a conscience. And our conscience is sort of like the courtroom of our mind. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we have it. And it's just like in the cartoons with the little angel and the little devil on the shoulders. That's what's going on in our conscience. All right? And it's going to render a verdict. And that's why you feel guilt. That's why you feel shame when you sin uh, before you were a Christian. Now, when you are a believer, you get convicted of righteousness. So you do regret and you repent. But that's what's going on. So, I'm rabbit trailing the day. I feel like preaching. So, <laughs> so. But that, that, that's all that's going on there. He says, why are you persecuting me? And he gets saved. He gets this revelation of the gospel from Jesus. And he's to take it to the Gentiles. And that's what this is all going about here. So, he received this, and it, that commission. All right? <clears throat> and... and in that part in that, that we read in Galatians 1, it says was preached. It was a passive verb, okay? So I, you, have to, you have to know some English, too. You've got to remember grade school, elementary stuff, all right? But when a verb is passive, the subject undergoes the action rather than doing it. So Paul served as an instrument of the gospel's proclamation, not as its source, all right? We, we hold him up. Yeah, he's an amazing theologian. His writings, Romans, the book of Romans is like the great, you know, what, opus of the, theology, appalling theology. But his source of all of his information was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He received it all from Jesus. All right? He, and then he proclaimed it. Okay, so... Let's see here. Okay, we go to number. We go to verse four, and he says, and, and we'll, we'll we'll read it through until five. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right. So another reference to apostles and prophets, like we had last week. So it certainly is a reference to not just Old Testament prophets, but new, there's New Testament prophets as well there. But I, I want us to get a broader understanding of Paul's meaning of mystery. 
He uses the word mystery 21 times out of the 27 times that it's in the New Testament. And it has different shades of meaning in different contexts. So another uh, thing that I'm always trying to tell people is that you can't just take one word and and then it's going to mean the same thing every time you read it in the Bible. Because in the Greek... That one word can have several different meanings and it's depend on how it's used and all that, okay? But the basic meaning is God's revelation or his disclosure of something that was formerly hidden. And it's only revealed by the Holy Spirit. All right, so in Ephesians, Paul first mentioned it in chapter 1. And it was God's revealing his eternal purpose to sum up all things in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the mystery centers on God's eternal plan that is of bringing all things together in the person of Jesus. He came as a perfect fulfillment, right? He fulfills the law. He didn't break the law. He fulfilled it. He comes as this perfect representation of the Father. He reveals the Father too. Everything that he did, like if we want to know more about God, you first look at Jesus. And and then you use that as your filter on the Old Testament, right? People don't understand, like God in the Old Testament, angry, mean, wrathful, don't like him. Jesus is cool. Right. But Jesus is the perfect representation of the father. All right. A lot of things that happened in the Old Testament was not a direct representation of the father's heart because of covenants. All right. And the culture in which those covenants were cut. That's a whole other that would take us. uh, That would be a good sermon series, too. But he he sums it up. It's all summed up in Jesus. Okay. Bringing this eternal plan, you know, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. We know that. All things together in Jesus. So here in this part, Paul's referencing back to chapter one um, in referencing to the general sense of the mystery of Christ that's coming here that we just read that's coming. And then he's going to identify clearly the application of that mystery to the now revealed truth that we'll see in verse 6. All right, so, um, and Paul had also written about this aspect of the mystery in chapters 2, and so it's a reoccurring thing. Paul does this a lot in his writings, where he keeps referencing back, he keeps doing, he's trying to just nail that, you know, in, just here, this repetition, like, remember this, remember this, all right? So, so when, when Paul says that, this aspect, all right, that's the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other in the body of Christ, okay, which we hit upon, I think, pretty thoroughly last week. But this aspect of the mystery had not been made known in other generations, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. It means that God has revealed the, the whole truth, the complete truth, nothing but the truth, right? That he means God has revealed this in regards, though, to the church, to the believer, to the Christian, to the church. It's not just the individual, but corporately to the church. Remember, he's writing to a church here. This church is in Ephesus, all right? So, the Old Testament often spoke of God's blessing 
on the Gentiles, but it, it was always through Jesus. So, but now, um, in another reference to Galatians, it's 3.14, it says, In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, so this newly revealed truth then that Paul and the New Testament proclaims is that Gentiles are equal with Jews in the church. And we see this in verse 6, because he says the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So it's all of this work. All of this work and all of this repetition to say, you had the Judaizers, like, you guys are equal though, you, it's okay, accept them, that wall of hostility has been broken down, can you not accept this, why, you know, um, as I mentioned week before, I think I mention it every week, because the Judaizers are going, okay, let the, like, let the Gentiles in, but... Be circumcised too, you know? And he said, like, no. All the blessings, are it's there now. It's all been done. It's been fulfilled in the person of Jesus for the church, which is all types of men. All right? So when you have the word Gentiles, every, every, every ethnic group besides the Jews. All right? Okay. Seven. How are we doing? Okay. <clears throat> Verse seven. Of this gospel I made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might know, or sorry, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's stop. We have that reference then to heavenly places that we touched upon a while ago. Um, Okay, so verse 7, he's been made this minister. He's been one that's entrusted with preaching the gospel by the working of his power. Paul mentions the gift of God's grace. And that's what it is, the working of his power, all right? It's not always this uh, power thing. It's not always the, this, like, dynamite, dunamis thing, um, which is a, mis- a bad, <laughs> bad misinterpretation sometimes. Um, it's not always this working of this Holy Spirit of, like this, the charismata. It here, it, it's the grace. It's God's grace. The the by the working of His power, it's the grace, mercy that He has had on humanity. His power transformed this radical Judaizer, this radical man who was ki- killing Christians who now love the very people he hated and persecuted. Because he says that the least of all saints, he was like, you know my past, and if you don't, here's what I did. I was this man, I was doing these things. And by the, 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 the working of this power of God's mercy and grace, 
I have been transformed. I have been changed. I now love you. I am now here to proclaim these things to you and to serve you in this way. So this is to an overflowing and a joyful gratitude at all times is really what it's speaking to us here. That we should be reminded that we enjoy God's revealed grace on a daily basis and his mercy. That we have these transforming truths that are, have been revealed to us here within the whole New Testament. That we have this, what he says here, <clears throat> unsearchable riches of Christ. Some translations say unfathomable riches of Christ. And they're right here in our Bible, right here in the Word of God. All right, so we see that we have this reference to Paul's persecution to the church and then the gift of this grace that has transformed him and then bring to light, right, bring to light this another reference to the mystery. And these unsearchable or unfathomable Mysteries of Christ, which I'm going to tie up here at the end about that. But I think I'm not decided yet, but we may stay in these verses next week because in 8, 9, and 10, I could probably still preach another 30 minutes just on the unsearchable or unfathomable riches of Christ. (laughs) There's so much there. Uh, And I love exploring that. I've been using some note, you know, I use all sorts of commentaries and notes preparing. I found this man who, um, we're going through Ephesians, he went through Ephesians, but it's 63 parts. He spent 63 weeks preaching through six chapters of Ephesians. said, well, I got a long, time, a long way to go to be able to put together that much information, but... That shows you how much you can find in each verse. You can actually expound on it that much. It's amazing. All right, so he's to bring to light these things and this mystery, these unsearchable, these unfathomable mysteries that are in Christ, these riches, right? Through the church. It's in verse 10 there. Look at that. Like I said, I've not decided if I'm going to do that yet. I may. We may just camp here for next week too. I don't know. It says that in verse 10, so that through the church, again, He's, he's writing to a church. He's talking about that corporate sense of the living temple, not just as your body. All right. The church is living and breathing organism of filled with the presence of God corporately, universally around the whole world. The church, the temple is growing. That through that, through the church, the manifold wisdom and manifolds, not just a car part. Uh, Manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We talked about the differences in heavenly places and principalities and stuff like that. And we're going to get more into that as we go deeper, like especially chapter six. But it talked about the different uses of that phrase. And how in the beginning of this book, it was more the rulers and kings and authorities and the Roman Empire there. Here, heavenly places, 
also means that, but it cannot also mean the actual heavenly places in which we are seated. Because, think about this. This manifold wisdom of God might be no, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So those that in government and empire, the Roman Empire, are going to know this through the church, the growing church. They're going to know this, this wisdom from God through the church because it's growing, it's increasing. There's going to come a point where there's going to be a lot of more persecution more war, more destruction, you know, and then definitely an attack um, on the Jews that will be coming and with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the temple. But also these heavenly places that we're seated in. Because what's one thing that the angels are going to learn from this? Grace and mercy is something that they didn't have to experience being angels. Grace and mercy is something they are now seeing present in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit being poured out to man. And it's the side of the Father. They may have made like may have known something about it, but now they're seeing this fullness being revealed, this fullness of God in the heavenly places of the mercy being poured out to humanity through the cross, through the person of Jesus, and this is revealed now to them through this work. It's interesting to me. <laughs> it's sort of mind-blowing to me. But the mystery of the gospel through, through Jesus and what has taken place, this covenant between God and God, is now being seen in its entirety, not just to Jews and Gentiles and to the Roman Empire, but also to all those who are serving and worshiping the Lord in the heavens. That manifold wisdom has been revealed. It's been released. They're seeing that because he's seeing that they are seeing that God is what he's done. It's the gospel. They're seeing that take place before their eyes. That loved the world so much he sent God as Jesus. You know, God made a covenant with God. <laughs> it just gets, it's, oh, it's mind-blowing to me. But this is what they're seeing. So it's not just on the physical earth. It's not just on the physical plane of rulers and principalities of the government and politicians and the armies. It's taking place in heaven too. And the church is making this known because of God's grace on them. Through the church, he may, might now be known. The very existence of the ch- a church in which Jews and Gentiles are united stands as a testimony to Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil. So, he goes on in 11. Talks about this was according to the eternal purpose. This was the saving plan of God that was praised in the first, the opening in chapter one. The very plan of of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit that took place before the foundations of the earth. 
This is the eternal purpose. He, he knew the fall was going to happen. He knew the Tower of Babel was going to happen. He knew even after the flood, wickedness would still increase. But it was all leading up to when it was time and the time was ordained to send his son and to reveal him as the perfect father and the perfect God of all creation. And we killed him. <laughs> we, we killed him. And he bled and died on the cross and suffocated to death. But then he resurrected. And he had that victory. Christ is the victor. And this is the eternal purpose. This is that mystery that it was for all of humanity, for all of the world. So because of this, in 12, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We can pray personally to Father God now. Jesus is our mediator. He's the high priest, the mediator. He was the, the sacrificial lamb. Because of that, we have direct access to the Father. And we are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray personally to God now. No sacrifice in the temple. No high, no, no high priest that we have to go to so, to bring our lamb to because Jesus was both. <clears throat> so we have boldness, right? It says that. Listen to that. In whom we have boldness. I there's something in the world today, I think I've mentioned it, the new legalism, you know, in the evangelical world. You know, you need to be more more bold. You need to take more risks. You need to do more of this. You know, if you you stop taking risks, you've stepped out of the supernatural. And I'm like, what does that stuff even mean? It's new legalism. Like you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Nobody knows what a good work is anymore. We're created in Christ for good works. We'll get uh, we'll get to some of that. There's some good works that are mentioned later here. But if you read Galatians, good work is going to work. <laughs> Paying your bills, being a husband, being a wife, a good parent. You know, so this new legal, like, you need to be more bold. Well, right here it just says, we have boldness. We're already bold. You don't have to let somebody burden you with these extra these legalistic things of, you got to do more, got to do that. It's all been done. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. It's all accredited to us, Okay. So, then he says, so I, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. There's glory in suffering, and here Paul suffers for the sake of the Gentiles, and he endured the suffering so that he might continue to minister to the needs of his fellow believers, and it results in their strengthening, and it should ours as well. Reminded by these words. Okay, so through that mystery, through that eternal purpose, these unsearchable riches of Christ are offered to sinners. And these riches of Christ center on Jesus. So if, if we have Jesus, 
We have every spiritual blessing, all right? That's back in chapter 1. And all of God's promises are yes in Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians. God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. And this is in 2 Peter. So note two things. The gospel isn't about rules. It's not about religious rituals. It's about knowing Jesus himself. All right? That Jesus possesses in himself these unsearchable riches that he gives to all that call upon him. We need redemption and forgiveness. He's our redemption and forgiveness. We need love. He calls us into love by the spirit of adoption. We need holiness. He's chose us to be holy and blameless in him. We need hope. God's made us fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus through the gospel. We need power. His power brought us from death to life. We need life. So he raised us from death to life in that power. So he's our peace and he's our access to the Father. And that's part of the unsearchable riches, that's part of the eternal purpose, that's part of the mystery, that's part of the gospel. Well, there's the sermon, so any questions, comments, complaints, or grievances... Send them my way to the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. Suggestions or topics for a show, send them my way as well. Or join the Facebook group discussion page and talk about it there. Until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thank you for listening. <laughs>